Hallelujah. Lord, it truly is a wonderful joy for us to be together today in this place. To take time where we focus our mind on you. Thank you that in spite of all of the problems sometimes that we face and all of the situations that we go through, we can always lift up our voice and give you thanks and praise you in the midst of sometimes distressing circumstances. You've put a song in our hearts that we can sing as your people. Thank you for the wonderful faithfulness of your people. Thank you for the, your life and your power within us to enable us to walk with you and continue on in this wonderful journey that we're on with you. We thank you for being part of a wonderful family like this. We love you, Jesus. We love to sing your praise. We love to honor you and thank you for your goodness. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Well, what a great week you had last week. Paul ministered. Absolutely fantastic. I listened to the message, and do you know what? What a joy it was to hear Paul's word and ministry to us, you know, just ministering from his life. And um, Paul's been coming to the church here for the last 20 years, coming from Bristol every Sunday. And I, I know there's many of us that, that travel, but Paul comes, and Hillary, from Bristol every week. And just to hear Paul's story, you know, Paul's testimony, how Jesus has come into his life and, and just changed it and transformed it. And the word that he brought to us from the scriptures about our uniqueness. Tell you, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to it, why don't you go back and um, just listen to that word. I know it will be a great blessing to your life. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to finish up in this series of messages titled New Life in Christ that we've been looking at over the last several weeks. And over this time, we focused on four verses in Titus chapter 2. And uh, again, this morning, as we begin, we're going to look at these verses where Paul describes Jesus. He shows us in these words to Titus, the wonderful accomplishments of Jesus' work. Shows us what Jesus has done. He also shows us what grace is doing. We've looked at that. And ultimately what will happen when Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, returns to our earth. Let's read Titus chapter 2 from verse 11 through to verse 14. Paul says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of 
of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming back. Hallelujah. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Paul here says so very little, and yet he covers so much. He brilliantly, we've said this over the weeks, encapsulates the gospel of Jesus Christ and our new life, the new life that we have received in Christ. This new life that Jesus has given us by the power of His Holy Spirit is so very different. It's so very different to the life that we once lived. We now have fullness of life. We now have abundant life. Jesus described this life as the very life of God within us. We are partakers, Peter tells us, of the divine nature. Jesus, in describing this life, described it as rivers of living water in our innermost being. When talking about life... Canadian psychologist Jordan Peterson made a powerful observation when he said, life is a tragedy or a series of tragedies. He continued by saying, we may get a little respite of happiness in between each tragic moment, but face the facts. From beginning to end, life is a series of tragic experiences. To some, Peterson's views would be fatalistic and negative. But you only have to think about life and its series of experiences that occur all around us on an everyday basis to see that his comments and his views about life are based on everyday reality. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when commenting about life outside of Christ, said this, it's interesting to note that the greatest literary works about life happen to be centered in tragic narrative. From the earliest Greek tragedies to Shakespeare's plays to the weekly soaps that people watch, on all the way up to blockbuster movies, all of them seem to carry a tragic narrative, a tragic story. It's in the music that we hear, the daily news that we see. This tragic storyline is life itself. Life outside of Christ, the Bible tells us, on countless occasions, is under the power of of darkness under the domain and reign of Satan. Peterson and Lloyd-Jones, along with scores of other voices in our world, only accurately conform what the Bible has been saying right from the beginning. Man is a sinner and needs 
a loving Savior to come into his tragic series of experiences and save him from his sins. I'm so glad, as you are, I'm sure, that when I open the pages of the Bible, I see a Savior, a healer, a deliverer, a restorer that's come into our tragic world and offers, as Paul says to Titus, salvation to all men everywhere. God sent His Son, Jesus because he loves our world so that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life in him. Whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes in Jesus Christ, somehow, miraculously, receives power to deal with all of these tragic events that so often characterize life. Hallelujah. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the savior of our world. There is no other religious leader in our world that has ever lived, that, have, that has ever had remarks made about their life like Jesus, has, that, like Jesus had from the witnesses that testified about his death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. He is the Savior of the world that God sent to save us from our sin. Jesus is the only one that can come into life's tragic story, into life's tragic narrative, and deliver us from its pain, and deliver us from its tragic end. And Paul, as all of the other Bible messengers and writers testifies of this wonderful saving grace that comes through Jesus. Listen to just one of his comments as he speaks to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, Paul says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul knew that he had tragedy in his life. His life was filled with tragic experience. But when Christ met him on the Damascus road, he saw the power of God's salvation and the power of God's grace moving in his life, taking him from that tragic experience of life into the wonderful experience of new life in Christ Jesus. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus was centered in the fact that he has come into our world to save sinners like you and me. This glorious salvation that comes as a result of Jesus has no tragedy in it. It only has victory and triumph and blessed hope. You have been born, Peter says, into a living hope. There's a living hope in you, alive in you. And that hope is anchored in your Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul tells Titus that this living hope is also a blessed hope. It eagerly awaits and looks for 
Christ's return. Hallelujah. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have fiery trials. This doesn't mean, this new life in Christ doesn't mean that we don't get tested, that we don't get tempted, but it does mean that this new life in Christ is robust enough and strong enough, fueled by God himself to stand up against all the storms of life that we may face. David in Psalm 37 says this, I believe it's in verse 23, the steps of a good man. And when, he's, when, when, when he talks about man in the Bible, he's, he's talking about men and women. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though they fall, or though he fall, the Lord will deliver him. The Lord will not see him utterly cast down. That's what the Bible says. And then David goes on to say this. I've been young and I've been old, but I've never yet seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. Your steps are ordered by the Lord. His delight is all over you. And when you go through the course of this life, there may be times where you fall. There may be times where you're tested. There may be times where you're tempted. But you will not be utterly cast down. You will not be forsaken because the delight of God is over your path. And your course has been ordered by Him. It's impossible for you to be forsaken. It's impossible for you to be utterly cast down, irrespective of all of the circumstances and all of the battles you go through, you'll come through with a smile on your face because the delight of God is on you. Oh yeah, you might have a couple of cuts on your brow, but you will come through with a smile on your face and joy in your heart, declaring the praises of God because you will see him cut a, a course through the wilderness. And if you ever stand in front of a Red Sea and you need to get through it and God's directed you there, I tell you something now, the sea will split and you'll walk through on dry land. That's how committed God is to you. That's how much he loves you. David said, he rejoices over me with singing. And if I were able to number the thoughts that he has for me, it would outnumber the stars in heaven and the grains of sand on the shore of the sea. Oh, what love this is. <laughs> what love this is. Now, from the verses that we've looked at in Titus chapter 2 over the last several weeks, We've structured our thoughts around four points. Quickly go through them with you, and then we'll finish up in this final point that we're looking at today. We've said that Paul, in his words to Titus in these four verses, reveals God's grace in that it rescues us, reforms us, rewards us. And today, this final point that we're going to look at is how God's grace redeems us. Paul was the herald of the greatest news. He carried such a dynamic, powerful message to his world and to anyone that would listen to it. And in verse 14 of Titus chapter 2, 
Paul here is focusing on Jesus, our Redeemer, and how he transforms our lives. Listen to verse 14 of Titus chapter 2 and how Paul explains and pictures Jesus as our Redeemer. Verse 14 says this, Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Paul, here, is pulling the curtain back on the unimaginable lengths that Jesus went to when he redeemed our lives. These are not just unimportant words clustered together in this chapter. Casual words that we could quickly pass over. No, Paul is setting the scene. Paul is painting a picture of the glorious transformation that takes place through our redemption in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And for us to understand this word redemption and for us to understand the redeeming work of God's grace through Jesus Christ in our lives, firstly, we have to understand that redemption is about a provision made. Provision made. A provision made by God for you. Now, don't look across the room and think, God provided for another person. Or look at your neighbor and think that God only made provision for them, but not you. No, let's talk about you. Think about you for a moment. Take your mind off everybody else, and let's think about you in the room. God has made provision for you. He was thinking about you when he made his provision in Christ Jesus. And this provision that God has made for you will never be inadequate. It will never be insufficient or deficient. By its means, we have eternal access into the wonder and the riches of God's glorious grace eternally. Eternally. What does that mean, Dave? I don't know. But that's a phrase that the Apostle Paul coined on so many occasions. And all we can say is this. Beyond this fallen world, beyond this world that seems so inconsistent and broken and dark, there is a world that we are heading to, God's eternal kingdom that will never end, that's more real than this physical world that we experience every day. And we are heading toward it and we are the re we'll, we'll be the recipients of this eternal goodness of God's grace that is most glorious. Paul declares very carefully that Jesus gave himself for us. That's provision made right there. Jesus is God's provision for us. And over and over again, this is the message of 
the new covenant of the New Testament. You can, you can look at your New Testament and you'll see it being covered in so many different ways. It's layered up. It's like the witnesses and the apostles that were responsible for bringing the New Testament to us, cover it from every single angle. They come at it from every conceivable point so that there's no blanks. Everything's filled in. All questions are answered. Jesus is God's provision, final provision. There will never be any other provision necessary because he finished his work. He paid our debt in full and we go free, forever forgiven, saved by grace. Simple as that. This is not cheap. It's a free gift. It cost, every, it cost Jesus everything. It will cost us nothing simply to place our faith in him. John the Baptist, that old faithful servant that was the preparer of the way of the Lord, was the first one to testify of God's provision when he saw Jesus. He said this, that's right, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Like Mark said, John 1 verse 29, the next day. John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was an incredible moment right here. An incredible moment of revelation breaking into the mind and the spirit of John the Baptist as he saw Jesus suddenly. Revelation dawned on him. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why is that so significant? Why is that so radical? I'll tell you why. Because millions of gallons of blood had been shed through animal sacrifices for over 1,500 years. And yet all of that blood sacrifice couldn't even erase one single sin. The countless sacrifices simply reminded God's people that they were guilty of sin. But when Jesus came, the Lamb of God, He shed His sinless blood, His perfect blood on the cross, and He wiped out sin forever. God's provision made in Christ Jesus. His sacrifice for sin on the cross as he shed his blood enables us to have right relationship with God, forgiveness of sin, and be free of all guilt forever. Hebrews chapter 10. You can read this when you go home. Incredible chapter. Points out how the continual sacrifices of bulls and goats could never bring about the forgiveness of sin or the removal of guilt. They did it simply to appease their conscience. That God gave it them as a means of covering temporarily their sin. 
But this very chapter reveals how Jesus, the one perfect provision from God, has forever removed sin. Where we now stand perfectly before God and holy in his sight. Listen to Hebrews 10 verse 12 and verse 14. The writer says this, but when this priest Jesus had offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down on the throne, on a throne at the right hand of God. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. Are you ready to accept that yet? Are you ready to accept that before a holy God, you are perfect for all time and eternity? Are you ready to accept the Word of God over your feelings, over your views, over your background? Are you ready to accept that Jesus is God's provision made for your life, not for your neighbor's life or somebody down the street? Jesus is God's provision made for your life. And as a result of that provision made, you are holy. You are perfect in God's sight. You will be presented and are presented in Christ before the throne of grace as faultless. You haven't got a fault in you. Now, that's not to say that we're without sin. That's not to say that we don't stumble and fall in many ways. The Apostle James tells us that in his letters. Of course we do. But what's happening? Well, I'll tell you. Now he sent his spirit, Paul tells us, as a seal over what he's bought. And the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. The Holy Spirit, day by day, moment by moment, is readying us for that wonderful meeting in the air when we will. See him. Redemption is provision made. That's what it points to. Provision made by God through Jesus Christ for your life. The perfect provision. But also, redemption is about power displayed. It's about God providing for our lives in Christ Jesus, making provision for us completely, all-sufficient. But it's also about power displayed. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about this display of power. Colossians 2 verse 14, he says this, Jesus, having wiped away or wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This phrase, having wiped out, that Paul uses, means to obliterate and destroy utterly, having no trace of what had been formerly. When Jesus nailed on his cross all of that handwriting 
that was against us in the law. We had broken the law. We stood condemned by the law. And Jesus, in his substitutionary death on the, on the cross, took that law and the condemnation of that law upon himself, and it was nailed to his cross. When that happened, our sin forever was wiped out or obliterated or utterly destroyed, leaving no evidence behind against us. We are perfect in God's sight. You are holy in His sight. Peter used this same phrase in Acts chapter 3 when he spoke to the thousands of men gathered around him and John. They just raised a lame man who'd been lame for 40 years by a gate beautiful near the temple. He was up on his feet, this guy running around declaring praises to God. And suddenly, out come all of these men from the, the temple 5,000 of them into, the, into Solomon's porch, and they surround Peter and John. And this is what Peter says to them boldly. Acts 3, verse 19, Peter declares, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be, here's the phrase again, wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, surrounded by thousands of people, Peter and John were declaring the most glorious news. Men did not, and women did not have to live with their sins. They did not have to live under their guilt any longer. Their sin had been dealt with when Jesus died on the cross and he nailed to that, to that cross the handwriting of the law that was written against them. And now, as they turn to God and they repent and they accept Jesus into their heart, there's a complete removal of their sin and their guilt. It's utterly destroyed, obliterated by the power of the cross. That's why Paul said, I preach Christ and him crucified. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved other than the name of Jesus. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is a power of God unto salvation. This is the power. The moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, sin loses its power and its hold over your life. It really does. This is another wonderful dimension to our redemption in Christ Jesus. It's a provision made, but it's also power displayed. But also, to understand re redemption in its fullness, we have to see that it's a price that's paid too. A price that's paid. And when Paul used this phrase of Jesus and pictured Jesus redeeming us. Everybody knew around him the message that he was carrying. When he said, Jesus redeems us, everybody knew exactly what he was talking about. Because the Roman Empire 
at the time that Paul was writing this, had over six million slaves in it. And those slaves had no rights. Those slaves were exploited and abused. There was no employer's code when it came to slavery. If a slave com complained to their master, if, if a slave complained to a governor, they would be whipped, beaten, and killed, and thrown out. There was no regard for the well-being of a slave. But if a redeemer came, if a redeemer came and paid the ransom price, if a redeemer came and bought out that slave, suddenly they would be taken from a place of bondage and brought into a wonderful place of freedom. Once the ransom had been paid in full, a legal certificate, a document would be handed to that slave and it would be sent also to the authorities proclaiming the freedom of that individual. Legally free forever. No longer to be sold in the slave markets of the time. Redemption was the dream of every slave because it meant freedom. So when Paul points to Jesus as being our Redeemer, what he's saying is that we have been released from slavery. The price has been paid. And he develops this thought again in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verse 17 says this, But thanks be to God that through you, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. This is the imagery and the picture that Paul is developing as he speaks to believers. When he talks about the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in paying for our salvation in full. We, as a result of that, go free, legally free. We are no longer slaves to the power of sin. Now, we are slaves to righteousness. We're under the pleasure of God in our lives. No longer are we in Satan's slave market, fearing the, the doom of a, of a judgmental law that's condemning us to death. No, we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God's wonderful Son, where grace reigns. Jesus has paid the price in full. And in Romans chapter 6, again, you can read it when you go home, Paul makes such a bold, strong statement when he said, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. What a bold statement. 
What a strong, victorious message for the believers that received that in Rome. Sin is not to have any dominion or rule over you any longer. What was he saying? It's lost its control. It can't take you by the scruff of the neck now and throw you about. It's got no power over you. Only the power sometimes that we give to it. But it, you cannot be it, you can't be governed by sin any longer because there's another power working inside you. The power and the life, the new life of God in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I think it's wonderful, Trish, don't you? It's absolutely blinking glorious. It really is. We're no longer under sin's governance. We're no longer under sin's rule. We're not a slave to sin. We're the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we are. If there's, a, if there's an accurate description about your life, it's not in Romans 6 where we were formerly slaves to sin. No, we are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of a price paid. A price paid, a provision made, power displayed, and a price paid for you. Peter, the apostle, also talks about this price that's been paid in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through to verse 19, he says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter, like Paul, picks up on this picture of our Redeemer. And he understood fully that every single day, all around him, people were being bought and sold. But with, with perishable things such as silver and gold, some were being redeemed, some were being set free. But when it came to our salvation and our freedom, Peter draws a line and he says, no, you have not been redeemed. Like people are redeemed in our world, you have been redeemed by the very precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb that is perfect, without defect or fault. The price has been paid, provision made, power displayed, a price paid. And finally, we're going to bring this to a close. Finally, in Christ's redeeming work on the cross for our salvation, we see a promise proclaimed. When we look at verse 14 of Titus chapter 2, we see that Paul doesn't just stop at the point of us being set free. Now, that would be wonderful in and of itself. If we were just set free from our sin, that would be glorious. There'd be no complaint from our side. But no, Paul moves on and all of the other messengers move on, move, move on way, way beyond just being set free. Yeah, we're set free. 
We're no longer slaves, but there's even more because God does exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. Paul assures us in verse 14 that Jesus will purify for himself his own special people. The Holy Ghost is sanctifying you. The Holy Ghost is working in your life. Of course, there's areas that we could all look at in our lives that we could critique and say, oh, do you know what? I'm not really happy with that area or I'm disappointed with this, this aspect of my character. I just keep falling. I keep failing in this, in this particular area of my life. I tell you now, God's at work in your life. You are being purified. You are God's special people. That's what he calls you. You're not just a, an, an anybody and a nobody. Or we may be foolish and weak in the eyes of this world, but not in the eyes of God. He's purifying his very own special people. You're not just a freed slave. You're a child of God. You're a son and a daughter of the living God. John the Apostle declares this in his epistle in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Listen to John's words. He said, Beloved, now are we sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but, when, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What's John doing here? He's telling us a number of things. Firstly, he's saying you can never be disinherited. Now you are a son of God. You can never be disinherited by God. You're his. But also... John goes on, and this great apostle has no ability to be able to describe what we will ultimately be in Christ Jesus. The only person that John can liken us to, and he can't even describe who he's likening us to, the only person that John can liken us to is to the Lord Jesus himself. John says this, when he, Jesus, shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But he tries to peer down into eternity, and he says, what we shall be, we do not know. Why? Because it's so glorious. Why? Because there's no earthly reference that we can ever parallel to his life and the life that he has provided and will provide us when we one day see him. When you read the 22 chapters of John's revelation that he received on the island of Patmos, he was taken from this temporal world into the eternal world. He was taken from 
this fallen world into the kingdom of God, into heaven itself. And on seeing Jesus, he fell down as dead. That's what the Bible says. And then Jesus told him to get up. John stands up. And through those 22 chapters, John sees glorious things. But every time he looks at Jesus, it's so difficult for him to articulate and describe what he is seeing. If you read the 22 chapters and you, you look at what John writes about Jesus, he can't adequately de define him. He's got no means of translating what he's seeing to us in an understandable way. So he uses symbolism and he uses lots of different analogies to try and picture Jesus. John can't adequately describe Jesus. No New Testament writer can and that's why John declares what we will be. We do not yet know why. Because he can't adequately describe Jesus and therefore he cannot adequately describe you or me. All we know is that we will be glorified. When we see him, we will be like him. Hallelujah. And every trace and every stain of sin will be gone forever. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. They're coming. They're on their way. Do you know, you look in Revelation again, and that, that phrase, wipe away, that Paul uses when he talks about the law and its handwriting being wiped away and nailed to the cross so that we cannot be condemned. It's in Revelation on two different occasions. John sees Jesus wiping away our tears. John sees Jesus wiping away our sorrows. What, what is he saying? He's saying that one day every sorrow, every tear, every heartache, every burden, every hardship and despairing moment of this life is going to be wiped away. It's going to be obliterated and destroyed and every single trace of its former existence is going to go. It's going to be swallowed up in the wonderful glory of Jesus' presence and we will sing and declare His praise forevermore. That's our future. That's our destiny. That's our eternal home. Why? Because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ who gave himself so selflessly for us. Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your precious people, everyone here, precious, precious. Precious to you. And sometimes we feel devalued, sometimes we feel worthless because we painfully carry in our hearts and minds words that's been spoken over us 
and they've hit our soul like a sword, cutting and piercing. And we carry wounds and we carry hurts. But oh, our value is in you, Jesus. Oh, for us to understand that you shed your precious blood for us. Renews our hearts that we are loved. And this love we can never be separated from. A love that is complete. A love that never fails. And I pray for your precious people here this morning, Lord. If there's any carrying a heavy load, if there's any under a heavy burden, if any is feeling tangled up and caught again in sin, Lord, I pray that your grace would wash over this place. Your Spirit would set us free. That we would go from this place knowing again that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That we are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything that we are doing, but because of what you've done and what you have decided to do with our lives. I pray in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. If you're here this morning, you've never asked Jesus into your heart. You know, it may have seemed that your life has been like that series of tragedies. You've gone from one tragic experience to another tragic experience, and it's as if life just spirals down. Sin's an awful thing. It's had us all in its grip. It's had its hands over all of our lives at some point. But the wonderful thing is, is when Jesus comes and you place your faith and your trust in Him, you don't have to clean your act up. You can't. It's impossible. But you place your faith in the Savior, Jesus, on the cross, God's provision to save you, to set you free. Suddenly, you are free and free indeed. The moment that you recognize that He is God's provision for your life to wipe out and obliterate that history of sin, that's the moment that salvation and the miracle of God comes into your heart. You receive new life and you have a relationship whereby you can say, Father in heaven, holy is your name. It's wonderful. It's glorious. I'm going to pray right now. Give you an opportunity to ask Jesus into your heart. What a day this is going to be for you. The greatest day in your life. It really is. It really is. You're going to ask him in and he's going to come in to stay. He's not going to make you some kind of religious fruitcake. He's going to set you free. He's going to give you life. And not only set you free, everything ahead of you is going to be glorious. You can have power, power of the Holy Ghost to live victorious in life and even beyond this life. There's a, there's a wonderful, blessed hope that death is not some kind of black, open trap door that we never get out of. No, there's an eternal heaven in which we will spend the rest of our time in praise to God and the wonderful grace that He gives us. I'm going to pray right now. Pray this prayer quietly in your heart. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me my sin. I want to turn away from it.
I want to be set free from its hold. I want to be made brand new inside. Will you come? I ask you now and live in my heart. I place my trust in you. I believe you died on the cross, that you rose again from the grave. And I place my trust and faith in you right now. Let me know the presence of your Holy Spirit and peace with you. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you're in here this morning. Do you know what? We'd love to give you maybe your first Bible on the way out today. And also we've got a little magazine that was written by members of our congregation that have seen God do incredible things in their story in life. We'd love to give you that on the way out. If you are watching online this morning, you prayed that prayer. Listen, we'd love to send you a Bible and just, just continue with you on your journey with Christ Jesus. Amen. Listen, church, it's been wonderful to be together this morning. It really has. And, you know, just, just finally, before Wayne comes, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, all of you, and f both of us, Faye and I. You know, this, this has been a difficult time. And um, let's hope we're coming out of it now. There's a couple of little setbacks. But this has been a difficult time for us, for all of us, for adults, for young people. But I tell you now, as God's people, we want to commend you because you have served God faithfully. Paul said this, I've kept the faith. And we've been through some difficult times, times that we can't understand that's been happening all around us. But when we look back, we'll be able to say, like Paul said, I kept the faith. I kept the faith. And that is what matters most. And guys watching online, people haven't been able to come back because of restrictions and health reasons. We want to honor you watching online this morning as well, watching weekly and being faithful to listen to God's Word, keeping the faith. Keep the faith, church. Read the Word of God. Verse yourself in the promises of God and go out into this world and let's win people for Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Let's stand. Why don't we stand and we're going to sing before we go. God bless you.